Hey, welcome back. It's Robert Fleming, one of the partners of the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC, along with Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, the other partner. Uh, and we are talking about elder law issues. We're particularly going to talk about a new law, Elizabeth, that has been adopted in Arizona and will be effective in about a month. Uh, supported decision making. Have you ever heard of supported decision making? I have, Robert, and I feel like it is really a kind of lightning rod type of a concept that is discussed, has been discussed throughout the country, different meetings, different states have passed different statutes. Um, and however you feel about supported decision making as a concept, whether you practice law or not, I think my goal today, Robert, in our conversation is to help inform people about some of the ambiguities and the challenges that folks need to be aware of, not whether or not this is good or bad. Um, I think so much of the literature we have read and some of the presentations we've heard um, comes from such a loaded perspective. And while you and I come with a perspective about this, I want our listeners to know that our goal is to inform you today right. and um, be aware of some of the gray area, which I think you and I both have concerns about. I think uh, to, to be a little more precise and go ahead and, uh, and draw the sting a little bit, Elizabeth, I think that the commentary out there in the community from family members of people, young people especially, but not just young people with disabilities, um, is universally positive. This is a great thing. It's the total panacea. It's going to solve all the problems or many of the problems with the guardianship system. Uh, and the reaction from the legal community is, oh my gosh, this is going to be a disaster and it's going to, it's going to uh, sacrifice the rights of people who are disabled um, on the altar of convenience. And, uh, and ne I think neither of those things are true particularly the version that Arizona has adopted, which is pretty limited in the grand scheme of things. So a little bit about what it is that is actually happening. Um, the, the Arizona legislature passed a bill that included supported decision-making as one element. Uh, they did that about three months ago, but because the legislature was very slow in adjourning, it will not be effective until October 30th. So on October 30th, we will have a supported decision-making statute in Arizona. We will join the 20 or so states that have similar laws. Uh, ours will be, as I mentioned a moment ago, much more limited in its scope than most of those, but it will, it will hew to the same general concept. And here's the concept. Guardianship is invasive and expensive and uh, and before we went on the air, we were talking about whether you can still vote if you have a guardian and whether you can drive and all those kinds of things. And in addition, if you get a guardianship um, over your, your child when they turn 18, your developmentally disabled or mentally ill or otherwise disabled child, um, it's a real infringement on their personal liberty, their personal decision-making, and you pay a bunch of money to lawyers. So, Elizabeth, when we see people who have, say, a developmentally disabled child who's 17 and a half, who say, we've been told we need, need to get guardianship, what do we tell them? Well, the first thing is, is what are the details here that, that make you think a guardianship is needed? And 
Are you saying that a guardianship is needed because of a medical diagnosis? If so, what kind of medical diagnosis is that? And, and does the medical diagnosis preclude the person from maybe doing powers of attorney? Um, talk to us about why you think actually the guardianship is needed, because that's somebody's civil liberties that would be affected if we proceed with a guardianship. And if the person has the ability to create powers of attorney, that's really the first step to consider. Um, Robert, as you were chatting, I was pulling up some of the language that, that we're going to be looking at more routinely now in Arizona. The statute that will go into effect uh, describes supported decision-making as a process of supporting and accommodating an adult to enable the adult to make life decisions, including decisions related to where the adult wants to live, the services, support, and medical care the adult wants to receive, whom the adult wants to live with, and where the adult wants to work without impeding the adult's self-determination. Well, that That's, says a lot and nothing at the same sounds time. Sounds great. Where do I sign up? <laughs> But I think going back to your question about guardianship, we want to know what about the the facts indicate to you that a guardianship would be something that would be helpful or necessary. And and I think with supported decision making, Robert, what what I certainly embrace is the conversation around autonomy and the conversation around what it means to support somebody who may have a disability and help that person maintain some autonomy. We need to remember, Robert, the law in Arizona, if, if there is a guardianship in place, requires the guardian to be mindful of someone's autonomy and independence and maximize that person's ability to, to be independent and to live in the community and do so in a safe manner. So it's, it's a lot to think about. I, I do think that when we consider what I just read, a lot of times people come into us and they really want a bright line answer. Do I have to do this? Will it change everything? Well, and, and they've been told that they do have to do it. Everything in the system has conspired to assure them that it's absolutely essential. In fact, again and again, we see people whose child is 17 and a half who say, I've got to get to this right away so that it's all done before he or she turns 18. And, and that's just not the case. There's no mandatory you must have a guardian if you are incapacitated when you hit 18. I think, Elizabeth, in, in my practice, in my experience, uh, when, when parents come in and tell me a story like that, more than 75% of the time, approaching 90% of the time, when they leave, I have talked them out of doing a guardianship. And I'm guessing you're probably, you probably have the same experience. Yep, that's right, Robert. And, and I would say that most of the time, what I try and encourage people to do is to, to think about the conversation we've had to think about the resources I've provided, which might be referrals to other attorneys who could meet with somebody to assess their capacity to do a power of attorney, to think a little bit about the priorities, um, what might be time sensitive, what might not be time sensitive. Sometimes when we see people, Robert, and they have a child who may be approaching 18 or maybe a young adult and there's a medical procedure on the horizon, and there are questions that relate to approval of the procedure or access to medical information, sometimes that's exactly when we talk about something like a HIPAA waiver and whether or not um, some other steps could help get the medical professionals involved a little more comfortable with moving ahead without having to put in place a guardianship. There are things, Robert, called limited guardianships, and those can be complicated as well. So 
I think the supported decision making and where that fits into the conversation is yet to be determined. What I do know, though, is that we're going to be faced with many questions around whether or not a guardianship is going to be something that we see more routinely or not now that we have this this new legislation coming into place with supported decision making. I sort of suspect that we will see fewer of those of those potential clients. We will have a higher percentage of doing guardianship than the you know, the 10% or 20% that we do now, not because of really a change in the law, but because people will be will begin to be told you need to get a guardianship for your son when he turns 18 or fill out this supported decision-making form. And, and so there will be less pressure to get into our office in the first place, which, of course, I think is kind of a mistake because we could, we could give people the whole picture. We could give them all the choices. And I think, Elizabeth, to your point that an awful lot of the people uh, who think they need a guardianship end up, we end up telling them, go see another lawyer I'm sorry, not you go see. Take your son to another lawyer. Make the appointment. You can tell the details about what you think you want, but have your son talk to that lawyer, not us, because we don't want to muddy the water about whether your lawyer prepared a power of attorney. Let his lawyer prepare a power of attorney. And if he will sign that, you will probably never have to do a guardianship or a conservatorship. Well, if people fill out a supported decision-making form, um, rather than come to talk to us, they won't be given that option. No one will t- explain that option to them. And that may be a better option. On the other hand, I think sometimes when we have those conversations, we're going to tell people, take your son to talk to another lawyer about a power of attorney and or look into a supported decision-making agreement. So right. it's another tool in our toolbox, too. Right. And I think no matter how you look at it, it continues to be important that the person who may be living with a disability have separate representation. It's it's critically important for the person who may be entering into this kind of agreement um, to understand it and and understand the implication of of signing an agreement. One caveat for people who are thinking, oh, supported decision making. I've heard about that. That's a great idea. I'd like to look into that. If you have already done a guardianship you probably can't do the supported decision-making route. Um, I, I might go so far as to say you absolutely cannot do it because nobody who has been adjudged to be incapacitated can sign a supported decision-making agreement. And if they have a supported decision-making agreement and they later have a guardian appointed, that voids the, the agreement. So uh, that's one of the limitations of our law. It's not universal in all the other states that have adopted similar laws. But, but they are just incompatible. It's not a, well, we can mix and match guardianship and supported decision-making. We can mix and match supported decision-making and powers of attorney, and maybe guardianship and powers of attorney. But, uh, but the, supported, the new supported decision-making statute and guardianship are, are it's an either-or. And Robert, I, I also am believing right now as I start to read more about this that the supported decision making is not having to do with anything financial. So um, that's right. You can't sign anything on behalf of, of the person who signs the supported decision making agreement with you. All you can do is counsel them and show them what you think they ought to sign and help them understand the process. Maybe slow down the doctors and and uh, and get a more um, plain language explanation. 
but it doesn't give you the power to sign on their checkbook or, uh, or make any financial decisions whatsoever. So supported decision-making, interesting idea. I think that um, it will probably not have as big an impact in Arizona as a lot of advocates and family members anticipate just because it is so limited in the version that finally was adopted. But it may be a foot in the door so that we may see some expansions of the whole process over the next four or five years, I think. Uh, keep, stay tuned, and, uh, and if you want to talk about your son or daughter approaching age 18 or, uh, or recently diagnosed with a disabling condition, that's what we do. We don't, we don't um, take that call and say, great, here's the form for guardianship. We start talking about whether you really want to do that, how much it's going to cost, what the downsides are, what the effect is, and what the alternatives are. Just like a good doctor would do before the surgery. I'm Robert Fleming. I think maybe I'll start calling myself the good doctor because I like it. <laughs> no, I guess not. Robert Fleming, uh, one of the partners in the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC, chatting with Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, the other partner in that same law firm. You're listening to Elder Law Issues. And here we are talking about young people, but, uh, but our, our practice is largely focused on elderly and disabled individuals. So um, that's how we get to supported decision-making as a topic. We hope you'll join us again next time when we'll touch on another elder law issue. See you then.